Hey, here's what I love about our band. They're talented, first of all. Uh, but I also love that they can play like some old, classic, oldie but goodie song like Stand By Me. And then next week, for all we know, the same exact people are going to play Metallica or like Eminem or something. Yeah, it's awesome. I actually asked if I could be the one hitting the triangle. And they said no, and that hurt my feelings. Um, <laughs> Hey, so uh, I'm an old soul, and so I love old soulful music like Stand By Me, but we didn't just play that because I like it or because it's recognizable or something. We played it because it actually has a lot to do with what we're talking about today. So I actually want you to take the idea of standing by each other and then kind of file it away in the back of your brains because later in this talk, it's going to connect and you're going to be like, oh, and feel smart and all that stuff. It'll be great. Um, Hi, by the way. It's been a long time no see. I missed you guys. Um, Uh, I shouldn't have done that. I just wanted to say hello. Um, So we're in the middle of this 35-day challenge together. There's thousands of us doing this thing together right now. And what we're trying to do, in case you missed it or or you're new, this is your first weekend, what we're trying to do is we're trying to take the four main areas of our lives. Jesus said that we should love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so we're trying to take these four areas of our lives and love God with all those parts by basically engaging in a spiritual training program. That's what the 35-day challenge is. We even made an app that you can download. It's never too late to download this thing and, and get started with us, by the way. But we've got this app with this daily checklist on it. And so every single day for 35 days straight, we're doing five things together. Right, the first thing is we're doing at least 15 minutes of, of physical activity together. That's kind of to remind ourselves that we are in control of our bodies and not the other way around. So we're doing physical activity. We're reading our Bible. We're praying. We're sacrificing something, which is to say giving up something good to make room for something better. And then we're serving. And we're doing those things for 35 days straight. If you miss a day or if you miss an item on the checklist, you got to start over back at day one. If you started over back at day one, don't feel bad. I had to do that on day two. (laughs) So you're not alone. Um, So that's what it's about. And for the last few weeks in, in this room on the weekend, what we've been doing is we're teaching through the importance of all five of those spiritual practices. And so Jim has already taught about physical, and he's taught about sacrifice, and he's taught about prayer. And now today, it's time to talk about serve, which, if I'm being honest, has been the most difficult part of the challenge for me and for my wife, Allie. And here's why I think that is for me. It's like, for me, first of all, Bible reading, prayer, physical, it's like check. Those are usually parts of my typical daily routine anyway. And then sacrifice, check, it's not too bad. But then every time, every day when I get to serve, I'm just like, ugh. <laughs> I know it's not what you want to hear one of your pastors say, but I'm just being honest with you. And there's a few reasons for that. First of all, like some days, I don't know if you felt this way, some days I'm like, I'm struggling with an idea of how I can serve. And I know that's been the same for my wife, Allie. And in fact, a few weeks ago, Allie was like, am I allowed to just count one of the hundreds of tasks I do for my kids every single day? She's like, can I check off serve because I fed them? And I was like, can I do that too? That's a good idea. (laughs) I find myself way more often than I used to, like going up to Allie and being like, what do you need today? You need anything today? You You want to get a break? Uh, uh, like, I'll chill, I'll chill with the kids. You get a break. You take a nap. You get out of the house. Anytime she says no, I get frustrated because I'm like, that was going to be how I served today. <laughs> Help a guy out. Um, 
Here's what's interesting though, is even when I think of a way to serve, like an opportunity will present itself, even in those moments, I find myself doing it begrudgingly, like my heart's not in the right place. Example of that is a, a few days ago, I'm at the grocery store and there's this lady, as I'm walking in, there's this lady who's trying to push two shopping carts. They're both filled with food. They're trying to push, she's trying to push two shopping carts through the parking lot and my head's like, serve. And so I run over there and I'm like, let me help you with one of these carts. And I push it for her and I'm making small talk with her and I'm still making small talk with her. And then like 20 minutes later, we're still pushing this cart. She'd parked on the other side of the parking lot and I'm smiling while I'm pushing the cart. And in my head, if I'm being honest, I'm just like, lady, you didn't think this one through. <laughs> you know, if you're gonna buy food for an army, like park a little closer. I got back to my car, I opened my app, I checked serve and I checked physical. <laughs> <laughs> I killed two birds with one shopping cart, as they say. <laughs> okay, on the off chance that you're here, lady, <laughs> I'm sorry for my black heart, all right? You should have parked closer, but I'm sorry for my black heart. <laughs> Yeah, here's why I feel safe sharing all, all of my struggles with serving. That's because I've talked to a lot of you and I've heard that many of us feel like serve is the hardest part of our 35-day challenge. And so my question is why, right? Why is serve so difficult? And I think, I think it really boils down to we can make a lot of excuses for why we can't or why we shouldn't do this serve thing. All right, for example, a ton of us are busy and stressed, right? That's basically most of us. And so work is insane and we've got projects and, and our family's crazy and we're playing chauffeur with our kids and then school was harder than we thought it was gonna be and we have deadlines coming up. And so we got this packed calendar filled with places to go and people to meet and things to do. And so we start telling ourselves, I don't have the time to serve, right? That's some of us. And then, and then on the other hand, there's maybe others of us who are going like, hey, listen, I'm the one who needs served right now. And that's okay. Right? Some of us are just going through a hard bit of road right now. We're walking through a divorce or we're in between jobs or staring down foreclosure, you name it. And so we start telling ourselves, I don't have the capacity to serve. Right? We're telling ourselves, like, if anyone needs help right now, it's me. But then for others of us, and my guess would be the majority of us, if we're being really, really honest, I just think we don't want to serve. It's the least enticing item on our 35-day challenge because it's like the one item on our checklist that we look at and we go, how does that benefit me? I mean, that's just me being honest. It's like, you know, physical, well, that'll be good for me. In Bible, I might learn something. In prayer, I could use some time to just be quiet and clear my thoughts anyway. And sacrifice, I could use a break from alcohol or social media or whatever it is you chose to sacrifice. That'll be good for me. But then serve, well, what good does that do me? With all the other stuff, we can see how it might benefit us. But when it comes to serve, if we're being honest, we get selfish. Or uh, listen, I'll speak for myself. I have gotten selfish. And so I start telling myself, I just don't have the desire to serve. Like, because there's no immediate benefit to me. And I don't think I'm alone in feeling that way. And so what I want to do today is I want to take a quick trip through the Bible, all right, to, to 
take a look at what God has to say about serving so that hopefully we can answer three questions. The first one is why we should serve. The second question is how we should serve. And the third question is what we could do to serve in the first place. And so I wanna take a trip through the Bible and the first stop is back in the Old Testament because this idea of us serving other people has always been a part of God's plan and it's always been very close to God's heart. And so I wanna go all the way back to a book called Isaiah chapter one. Right? Isaiah was a prophet. And back in Isaiah's time, prophets were basically spokesmen for God. And so God would give a message to a prophet, Isaiah, and then he would tell that prophet to go and share that message with his people, with these cities, with thousands of people. And to be clear, the messages were almost never like, hey, Isaiah, I want you to go and tell the, the city of thousands of people, I want you to go tell them that they're just crushing it. Like they're doing great. I want you to go give them a pat on the back and an attaboy. No, usually it was, hey, Isaiah, I want you to go tell that city filled with hundreds of thousands of hostile people that I'm going to destroy their city if they don't change the way they're living. And then Isaiah would be like, okay, bye. And he would go do that. And that's what he has to do in Isaiah chapter one. What's interesting to me about Isaiah one is that God's message for his people completely revolves around the way in which they are serving. So let's look at this together. Isaiah one the multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord. So this is God speaking. He goes, I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me and your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me and I'm weary of bearing them. Now, culturally speaking, that's kind of confusing language. And so if we were to update God's message to his people for like us in the 21st century, it might sound something like this. God just said, hey, the amount of money you tithe, what is that to me? Stop writing meaningless checks to me. And your sermons and your worship songs are detestable to me. And then if we want to really lean in, he goes, and the orange stickers that you've put on the back of your cars, my soul hates. <laughs> That's a weird laugh. I wasn't expecting a laugh there. He goes, your religion has become a burden to me and I'm weary of bearing it. It's harsh language. Now you'd be right to go, hey, wait a minute. I thought those were all good things that God wants us to do. Absolutely, those are all good things. But the point that God is making in Isaiah 1 is that we were never supposed to serve God at the expense of serving other people, which is what he gets into next. Look at this, he says, wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong and learn to do right. So he goes, stop, stop this meaningless religion and instead let's get back to doing what is right. What are the right things that we should get back to? Next verse, he says, seek justice, encourage the oppressed, defend the cause of the fatherless and plead the case of the widow. In other words, go find someone who needs served and serve them. See, God's problem is not this. It's not us getting together on a weekend and going to church and singing worship songs together and listening to a sermon and tithing money, whatever, fill in the blank. He loves those things. Those are good things. He tells us to do all of those things. Instead, God's problem is whenever we do those things and then we call it good, right? We pat ourselves on the back. We go, we were good little Christians this week, right? I made it to church on time. I learned a Greek word in the sermon. I didn't flip anyone off in the parking lot. You should see the parking lot. It's a miracle, right? We're good little Christians. We did it. 
God's problem is when we think that we can worship him without serving other people. He says that whenever we let go of serving other people, we let go of the very heart of what it looks like to follow God in the first place. And at that point, we're just engaging in hollow, meaningless religion, which God hates. What we learn in Isaiah is that you can't worship God without serving others. All right, let's fast forward in our Bible journey to the point where Jesus, God in the flesh, is walking around on planet Earth in Mark chapter 10. Because there's this moment where two of Jesus' disciples, James and John, they pull Jesus aside and they make a request of him. Look at this. They go, hey, Jesus, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. And Jesus simply replies, I love it. He just, in the, you can look in your Bible, his reply is, you don't know what you're asking. <laughs> like he literally goes like, you don't know what you're talking about. And that's true because they don't. James and John, they don't understand yet that yes, Jesus is king, but he's not the kind of king like they're imagining. They're imagining that Jesus is gonna be like this ruling literal king over Jerusalem. And so what they're asking Jesus is they're going, hey, Jesus, when you end up kicking tail and taking names and you become king, can we sit on the right and the left of your throne in your throne room? They have the audacity to ask to be very important people in Jesus's kingdom. But that's not what following Jesus looks like. And so Jesus gets all of his disciples together to set them straight. And he says this. He goes, you know that those who are regarded as rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them, but not so with you. They're living in Roman-occupied territory. So he goes, look at the Romans. When you look at the Romans, you see power-hungry people who like to lord their power and authority over other people and they call it greatness. But you aren't gonna live that way. You're not gonna live that way. Instead, you're gonna live this way. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. And so if you're following Jesus, greatness gets flipped upside down. If you wanna be great, you have to be a servant. Why? Well, because we follow Jesus, and that's how Jesus lived his life, which is the very next verse. And this is a trip. Pay attention to it. Jesus says this. He goes, for even the Son of Man that's Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Time out. That verse is a trip. If you really think about it, that's your God speaking. And he just said, I'm not here so that you can serve me. I am here so that I can serve you. You know how like whoever's president at the time a, a couple times a year, they'll go do like normal person stuff for a photo op, right? So it's like a president, it's like, oh, he's, you know, reading books to first graders at elementary, or he's serving food in a soup kitchen, and they take pictures of it. And the whole thing's designed for us to go like, even though he's the president, he gets us, he gets me, he spends time with the people. That's basically what Jesus just said, except on crack, and it's genuine. <laughs> it's for real, <laughs> Jesus, the God of the universe in the flesh just said, no, listen, really, genuinely, I'm here to do nothing but serve you. That's crazy. I didn't come to be served, but to serve. You fast forward again in the Bible and the very first Christians latched onto this idea of a strong God who serves people. 
And in Acts 17, Paul is speaking to uh, some people in Athens, Greece, and he says this. He goes, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't live in temples built by hands and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. That's what Jim talked about last week. What could we possibly offer God that he doesn't already have? That's what Paul says. And he goes, God himself is the one who gives all men life and breath and everything else. He's too busy serving us. He doesn't need anything. Jesus and Paul are saying the same thing. They're going, hey, we have a God who thankfully isn't needy. He doesn't need a thing from us. He's not in some outer space heaven wringing his hands going like, how am I gonna accomplish what I wanna accomplish on earth unless Ben starts serving me better? He's not whiny and he's not needy. God isn't looking to be served in that way. Instead, he's looking to serve us. And then Jesus himself goes, hey, look, the way that I treat you, like in grace and mercy and love as if I'm your servant, that's how I want you to treat each other. Don't serve me. I'm good. I have everything I need. Instead, serve each other. What we learn through Jesus is we serve because Jesus first served us. That's the answer to the question, why should we serve? The answer is not to earn your way into heaven or to score brownie points with God or anything like that. We serve simply because we're trying to live like Jesus and Jesus spent his life serving other people. That's the answer to the why. Why should we serve? We serve because Jesus first served us. But then listen, not only did Jesus serve us with his life, but he also served us in his death. And that's what I wanna focus on right now because through his death, we see something about how we should serve each other. All right, so at the time that Jesus is about 33 years old, he's arrested, he's rung up on false charges in essentially a kangaroo court and he's executed. And lots of people want Jesus dead. And that's because he kept claiming to be the son of God. He claimed to be the king of his people. Sometimes he outright implied that he was God in human flesh. And so people wanted him dead because they thought Jesus was committing the punishable crime of blasphemy, which at the time, according to the way justice worked at the time, it would have been right to kill him if only he hadn't been telling the truth. And so Jesus is nailed to a cross and he dies. And then three days later, God resurrects Jesus from the dead. It sounds crazy because it is. It hasn't happened before that and it hasn't happened since. And now we have the benefit of looking back on scripture and realizing that when Jesus died on the cross, he was paying off all of our sinfulness, the price that we, we owed for that. Romans 6 says that the wages of sin is death. And so when Jesus dies on the cross, he is paying that price for you and for me. And if you're a Christian, all of our hope and trust and faith is placed in the moment that Jesus dies on the cross and the moment that God brings him back to life again. We believe, as morbid as it sounds at first glance, that that is the best news ever shared with the entire world. We view Jesus's death on the cross as the ultimate, greatest, no one is ever going to top it act of service the ultimate proof that Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve us. But then on top of all of that, we can learn something about how we should serve by paying attention to the way Jesus composed himself on the cross. And here's what I mean by that. 
So even at the moment when Jesus is the most beaten, the most bloodied, and the most incapacitated, because crucifixion is an absolutely brutal way to die, but even at his weakest moment, when when the weight of torture and death and the sin of the world is threatening to crush Jesus, what does he do? He stands up straight under that weight, and he continues to serve the people around him. And we can see that in some of the things that Jesus says from the cross. Here's an example. At one point, Jesus is hanging on the cross and and he looks down and he sees his mother, Mary, and he sees his disciple, John. And here's what happens. When, When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple he loved, that's John, standing nearby, he said to his mother, dear woman, here is your son. And he said to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took her, took Mary into his home. What's happening is even as Jesus is dying, he's taking care of his family. Most Bible scholars believe that Joseph, Mary's husband, had already died at this point. And so Jesus is just taking care of family business. He's serving his mom, Mary, by making sure that his disciple John looks over, looks after her, and takes care of her after he's gone. Even while dying on the cross, Jesus stands up straight and he takes care of his family. At another moment on the cross, Jesus looks down, he's looking at the crowd, and it's a crazy crowd. All right, first of all, you got Roman soldiers there. There's, they're the ones like performing the execution. In the corner, you got people throwing dice and they're gambling to like win Jesus's clothes. There's this mob of people screaming and shouting and cheering and throwing stuff at Jesus. And even in the middle of this riotous mob, Jesus says this. He goes, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. Jesus looks at his murderers and he prays for their forgiveness. The forgiveness he's about to make possible the minute that he dies. Even while dying on the cross, Jesus stands up straight and he extends forgiveness. One more moment. Uh, Jesus is actually being crucified with two other criminals, one on his left and one on his right. And at one point, one of these criminals looks at Jesus and he goes, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, remember, this guy's a criminal. He's literally minutes from death. And so most of us, I would probably say this, most of us would look at him and go, too late, man, right? You lived a selfish, crappy life, and there's no take backsies on your deathbed. That's not how Jesus responds. Instead, Jesus says this. He goes, I tell you the truth. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Remember, this criminal is nailed to a cross. He's out of time. He does not have time to jump off the cross and go, let me prove through my actions that I really meant it when I said I'm sorry and I want to follow you. He doesn't have time for that. And still Jesus looked at him and he goes, I tell you the truth, today you're going to be with me in paradise. Even while dying on the cross, Jesus stands up straight and he offers the gift of life. And what we see in all of these moments is that even with the weight of death threatening to crush Jesus, he stands up straight and he serves the people around him. Now, here's something interesting about crucifixion, all right? Uh, and, and like what it does to people and what it does to the human body. Maybe there's a lot of us who didn't know this, but most people who were hung on crosses, and there were lots of people hung on crosses back in Rome's heyday, all right? But for people who were hung on, on crosses, they didn't usually die of pain or shock, and they didn't usually die of blood loss. Instead, they would die of asphyxiation. They just couldn't breathe anymore. And the reason for that is, for example, Jesus is nailed to the cross in three places, all right? Once through each wrist, 
up into the wood and his arms are kind of out and up and above his head. And then the third nail goes through both feet. His feet are overlapped and nailed through his feet into the base of the cross. And so for people who were crucified hanging that way, your shoulders would become dislocated really quickly. And then your body would sag and it would create hypertension and extension in your chest muscles and in your lungs, which resulted in severe difficulty trying to breathe. And it would eventually, for all of these people, get so bad that the only way to breathe and certainly the only way to speak is to push up off the nail in your feet to just put up with the excruciating pain of pushing up off that nail just to just extend your chest and extend your lungs and get a breath and then speak. Now, why am I getting into all this brutal information about crucifixion? It's because even though it's terrible to think about, I think it gives us this amazing picture of how Jesus serves us and how we should serve the people around us. And here's what I mean by that. In all of those moments on the cross that you and I just read through, that we just looked at, every single time Jesus spoke up in order to serve people, the only way for him to do that is to literally stand up straight. The only way that he can say any of those things is to stand up straight under the weight of the cross. He had to invite the pain that would be caused from standing tall in order to speak and serve. In other words, the image of Jesus on the cross is not pathetic. Get that out of your head. I hate every idea of Jesus, every painting of Jesus, every movie of Jesus that portrays him as some weak, whiny man who's just begging people to like, stop sinning and please follow me. Like, I don't wanna follow a God like that. Jesus was not pathetic. Jesus was tough as nails, literally. And the image that we should have in our minds when we think of Jesus on the cross is not the image of the weak, dying teacher. It is the image of the strong God who serves. The image of the cross isn't an image of Jesus crumpled down, begging for death to come quick. No, it's the image of the God of the universe in human flesh, inviting the pain, pushing up off the nail in his feet in order to speak life into the people around him. Jesus on the cross is, is the image of God standing straight and tall with his arms out under the burden of the world, committed to serving the people around him, even with his dying breaths, even if it's the last thing he's ever gonna do. I'll follow a God like that. And thankfully, we have a God like that. So remember the why. All right, why should we serve? Well, simply, we, we serve because Jesus first served us. But how should we serve? How should we serve? We should serve like Jesus served. Not whiny and pathetic about it. We don't grumble about it. We don't find ways out of it. Instead, like Jesus, we stand up straight with our arms out we stand up straight under the weight of real life, which is usually really heavy, and we stand up straight with our arms out, open and inviting to the people around us, ready to serve. How should we serve? We should serve in a Christ-like way, which is to say, like Jesus. We should stand up straight with our arms out. What can we do to serve? 
Well, there's tons of ways you can serve, right? You can push the shopping cart and you can help someone pack the moving truck. And if you wanna do the bare minimum, I guess you could hold a door or something. And, and like we've already talked about out here in our lobby at, at Lafayette campus and then at all the other campuses, you can go talk to your campus pastors, like get involved here and you can serve here. Like you can literally do that right after you walk out of the room, you can sign up for that. But even that is just one day a week. So what can we be doing to serve? And I think if we wanna jump into the deep end, I think we can take a cue from what Jesus did on the cross. Take a picture of this if you wanna remember it because it's not gonna be up for long. I was literally told to come and tell you that. Uh, So we can stand up straight with our arms out to take care of our families, to extend forgiveness or an apology, and to offer a gift of life. That is serving like Jesus served. Here's what I mean by that. Take care of your family. All right, so maybe for you, your marriage is feeling stale and routine and loveless and and distant, or maybe you're even afraid your marriage is on the rocks or it's not gonna last much longer. What would it look like to be Christ-like in that? And what I mean by that is stand up straight under the weight of the intimacy that you feel like is gone and under the weight of the fear that the two of you aren't doing well. Stand up straight under the weight of that burden with your arms out. How can I serve her today? How can I serve him today? What does my spouse need that I might be able to provide? For others of us, I know your stories, right? So I know you're feeling crushed under the weight of parenthood. It's like your kids are sick and not just sick, like your kids are very sick, scary sick. And they've been sick since the day they were born or, or your kids have spiraled into depression and anxiety and isolation and you don't know what to do about it. If that's you, I would encourage you. You don't have to have all the answers today. You don't have to have them and you don't know what tomorrow holds. I would encourage you in the midst of that wait to be like Jesus for your kids today. Stand up straight under the weight of the burden that you're carrying with your arms out. How can you love that kid really well today? How are you gonna be the image of our God to that kid today? Take care of your family. We can also serve by standing up straight with our arms out to extend forgiveness or offer an apology. Because some of us, we've been hurt, but if we're being honest, we've held on to a grudge for way too long now. And the person who hurt you there at the point where they're getting crushed by the grudge that you're holding against them, like they, they don't even know what to do to fix it anymore. They feel stuck. And then for others of us, we've hurt someone else and we were hoping we could just kind of brush that under the rug and everything would be fine. They'd forget about it and we can move on. But the person that we've hurt has not forgotten about it and they have not moved on. So stand up straight. Even though it feels like you're taking a hit to your pride and a hit to your ego, stand up straight with your arms out and serve that other person by saying, I forgive you or by saying, I'm sorry. Release them from the burden of a grudge. And then we can also serve people by standing up straight with our arms out to offer a gift of life. And here's what I mean by that. All of us in this room can think of someone who's hurting right now. They're in between jobs or or staring down a move across the country or walking through addiction, depression, you name it. And, And the people that we're thinking of, you know what would go a long way? If you just offered them a gift that would give them a little bit of life today, just write them a note or go mow their yard, right? Or go pay for their dinner. Go a long way to just know that someone has their back. 
A few weeks ago, my whole house was sick. Allie was sick and I was sick and all three of my kids were sick and it was miserable. But at the same time, my friends jumped in and, and helped out. They dropped off meals, they dropped off groceries and, and medicine and they even dropped off like little activity books for my kids to do. And it's just those little acts of kindness, those little acts of servanthood that blessed my family. It was just nice to know that somebody else was thinking of us. They were these little gifts of life. Here's the truth. If you wanna serve other people like Jesus serves us, we can't wait until it's convenient. And we can't wait till we first served all of our, or solved all of our own problems. Like when is that ever gonna happen, right? And we can't wait until the checking account is full and the emergency fund is in the savings account and the retirement fund is stocked and all that stuff. Instead, if you wanna serve like Jesus, you just serve now, no matter what, no matter where. And it looks like this, 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 9. We're hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Jesus served us on the cross so that we can stay standing under the weight of real life. And Jesus looks at us and he goes, hey, the same power available to me to stand under the weight of the cross is now available to you. So go, turn, and face the world and say to the people around you, I'm hard pressed, perplexed, persecuted, and struck down, but I am not destroyed. And because I am not destroyed, I'm gonna stand up straight with my arms out and look at the people around me and say, how can I sacrifice myself to serve you today? It's just like that classic song that we played at the very beginning of this thing, Stand By Me. I mean, th that could technically be a worship song. Like you could say that to Jesus. You could say, hey, when the night has come and the land is dark and the moon is the only light I'm gonna see, I won't be afraid as long as you stand by me. And thankfully, we have a Christ who stood by us and he stood tall and he stood straight with his arms out and he served us even with his dying breath. We have a God who has stood by and will stand by us even in the worst of times. And then he tells us to turn and face the world and stand by people even in the worst of times. And here's the truth. Like, here's what our world doesn't need right now. It doesn't need more opinionated people. It doesn't need more argumentative people. It doesn't need more people who are going, hey, I just need to create some boundaries because I'm really working on myself right now. It doesn't need more of that. It doesn't need more churches filled with people who are gonna show up and sing a song and listen to a sermon and then go home. And that's the only act of worshiping Jesus that they engage in that week. The world doesn't need more of that. Instead, I think the world needs more Christ-like people. And what I mean by that is people who are willing to raise their hands and this room and all of our campuses and all of our people watching online is a really good place to start. It needs people who are gonna raise their hand and go, I will stand up under the weight of the burden that I have to carry. I will stand up under the weight of what the world is telling me to be scared of right now. And I will stand up under the weight of my own problems with my arms out to serve the people around me. That kind of mentality can change a church. It can change a city. It can change your neighborhood. It has changed the world because Jesus first served us that way. And so the question is this, flat irons, are the orange stickers on the back of our cars going to represent the church we attend? Or are the orange stickers on the back of our cars gonna represent to the world around us that is someone you can lean on when times get hard? Stand up straight with your arms out and serve the people around you. 
God, I, I thank you so much for this message. This message is at the heart of who you are. You did not come to be served, even though you have every single right to demand that of us. But you did not come to be served. Instead, you came to serve us. God, we see that throughout your son's life, Jesus's life. We see that on the cross as you continually pushed up under the pain and stood up straight with your arms out. You were gonna serve people even with your dying breaths. God, I thank you for being that kind of God. I'll follow you anywhere. God, what I'm praying for is for our church right now. Would you ignite that in our hearts, God? Would you give us the, the courage and the humility, that weird combination that's required in order to stand up tall and stand up straight with our arms out and serve the people around us? God, would you take this church and continually make it to the point where orange stickers, what they represent are that we serve. It's the first thing out of people's mouths. What's that orange sticker about? And the first thing out of their mouths is not, oh man, it's this awesome place. The first thing out of their mouths is we serve because you first served us. God, would you teach us what it looks like to stand by people in the same way that you stood by us? And God, I just thank you so much for who you are. And I thank you ultimately for your son who was the first one who did not come to serve, be served, but to serve us. And it's in his holy name that I pray, amen.